Hey everyone, welcome back to Gifts from God. I'm Loralee Siemens. Today I'm talking to churches. Specifically, I'm talking to youth pastors and children's pastors. If you're an adoptive parent or a foster parent, this is a great podcast to share with your church. This is a topic that I speak on, and I'm going to be speaking at the Together for Adoption Conference coming up in Waterloo in just a few weeks. I'm going to talk about that at the end of the podcast. So here we go. Here's today's episode. I've shared my story before, and you can listen to that story by going back to past podcasts. And Leslie, who's on this podcast with me often, is a huge part of my story. About 10 years ago, I was running a children's ministry at a church. Leslie was a foster parent, and we'd been friends since junior high. So we've been friends for a long time already at that point. And she told me she was struggling with having her foster children in church. And she also said she knew about families that wanted to bring their foster children to church, but they were told they were not allowed to because the children were not behaving and the workers could not handle teaching and taking care of these children. Now, this broke my heart because I want all children to know Jesus. And it seems like, obviously, the children who are hurting are the ones who need to hear about children about Jesus the most. So I immediately said, hey, any child in foster care, you need to come bring your kids out to our program. After all, all those children need is just love, Right. I was wrong. They needed a lot more than love, and my volunteers were not prepared. And the truth is my volunteers couldn't teach and at the same time handle the behavioral problems. So I ended up starting a club specifically for foster families, and during that process, I learned what worked and what didn't work. And look, I still believe that all children need to be welcome and safe in our churches. Now, as a foster and adoptive parent myself, I have a much better understanding to make this work. I believe the church really wants to help families, but the child who's gone through trauma needs a lot more than love. Today, we're going to talk about what the child needs, uh, what the foster or adoptive parent needs, and what your volunteer needs. All of these needs have to be met for our church to be successful in following James chapter 1, verse 27. So let's read that right now. James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So what does the child need? Well, the child needs to feel safe, needs to feel connected to a family, the child needs Jesus, and the child needs time. We're going to break that down, but we need to remember that first and foremost, A child is a person, a person who is loved and bought by Jesus. When we see a child misbehaving, usually we think we know the reason, and usually we are wrong. So we need to learn about the child's behavior and don't come up with our own ideas of the reason behind the behavior. Our message to the child in our classroom should be, one, I am here, and two, Jesus is here. So our churches are set up by age, and this is understandable, and I'm not saying to change that up. However, these setups 
cannot be unbreakable laws. We need to see the child where they are and not where we think they should be because of their age. So let me explain this. Imagine for a minute a child comes into your classroom in a wheelchair. Now would you say, hey, you're nine years old, you should be walking by now. One-year-olds could walk, you're not even trying. If we just took your chair away, you could totally walk. Of course, we would never say that. However, when a child who's experienced trauma and has a trauma injury comes into our classroom, we can say or at least think those same things. That injury that they have, that trauma injury that they have will change the way that they develop. So a statement that we use is, we need to know the stage, not the age. We need to know what stage of development the child is and then adjust our expectations to fit that stage. Another statement we use is, under stress, we regress. Now, you could see this in your own life. Just think about stressful times in your life. When you're late, uh, when you're in an argument with someone you care about, when you have a huge task at work and you're under pressure, we can end up losing our tempers, we can get cranky. Quite frankly, we can often act like babies. That's because when a human is under stress, they regress to a younger stage of development. As adults, we catch ourselves doing this and so we adjust our behavior. And honestly, it's a really good thing people can't see what's going on inside our heads, right? If they knew what we were actually thinking and how far back we've regressed in our stage of development when we're under stress. But a child doesn't understand this. And when they regress to a younger stage, they could stay there for a long time, especially if the trauma that put them in that stage was severe. A child that's in foster care is in a constant stage of stress. They don't know what's going to happen to them. They don't know where they're going to be tomorrow. We can try to help with that, but to be fair, they're correct. No one knows where they're going to be tomorrow. No one knows what's going to happen to them. There really is no stability. And imagine living your life that way. Let me give you another example. I want you right now to think about your biggest fear and put yourself there. Maybe you're at the top of a roller coaster about to go over the edge. Maybe you're on the roller coaster slowly creeping up the hill. Maybe it's that pause right before the drop. Or maybe there's a giant spider on your arm. Or maybe there's a snake right in front of you and you're backed up against a wall and there's no way to get away. Whatever is your fear, imagine you're there right now. What does that feel like? Your heart is pounding, you have that instant sweat, your stomach is flipping. And then, while you're in that moment, imagine that I'm going to try to teach you something. Are you actually going to hear what I'm saying? Are you going to learn anything at all? A child who's been through trauma and is in a situation of not knowing their future is in a constant state of this. Their heart is racing. They have instant sweats at weird moments and they will often complain about having stomach pains. We had to know how to help them with that before we can teach them anything. We can do that by helping a child deal with how they feel about themselves and how they feel about their caregivers. So I'm going to break that down right now. First, we're going to talk about how a child feels about themselves, and then we'll talk about how a child feels about their caregiver. So what a child feels about themselves. They are, should feel that they are safe, capable, and wanted. 
If they feel safe, capable, and wanted, they're in a place where they're open and ready to learn. But if they feel they are not safe, that they have no impact on the world, and that nothing about them is lovable, they are not in a place where they are ready to learn. Now remember, this is how the child feels and not reality. Of course, I'm assuming the child is actually safe in your classroom, but they have to actually feel safe. And this could be something as small as having a blanket or a soother, even if those things are normally not used by a child of this age. For older children, it may mean staying with a person and not being separated from them. Here's a story that I got from a foster parent. Once I brought my daughter to youth group, she'd had just a difficult meeting with her lawyer and there was a court case coming up that week. At youth group, she was separated from my other daughter. I asked them to be kept together and the youth pastor said, I like to take kids out of their comfort box. It's good for them. The girls need to make friends with other kids as well. I made him keep the girls together and I got a condescending look of, oh great, a helicopter parent. Now, to be fair, he didn't know anything that my child had gone through that week. But also, I couldn't tell him because of confidentiality. He should have just trusted me as the parent and not made things harder. You can see from this story that this mother shared that something as simple as keeping a child with a person they feel safe around is something foster parents have to fight for. What about teaching kids that they are capable? This can be done easily and can also, by the way, solve the problem of needing to help the child stay closer to the volunteer. Once I was a special speaker at a camp and I noticed one of the children was giving the volunteers a very hard time and they were at a breaking point and I needed to get the stage set up. So I asked the boy if he could help me because he looked really, really strong. Now, the children were not allowed on the stage, but I said the boy could come up on the stage with me because I needed him to help me move some things, and he was glad to help. I had him move stuff that did not even have to be moved, but I also had him hide some stuff on the stage for an object lesson I was going to be doing, and then told him to make sure he didn't tell anyone. I ended up um, asking him to help me every single morning after that, and he was so excited. Kids want to feel like they matter. Other thing is, they need to feel that they are loved. And so many foster children feel as if they are unloved. This is actually a huge problem with foster children. They are very quick to decide that their teacher, their coach, or their pastor hates them. They're very quick to pick up on any little negative look or sigh. And they take it very personally. They already feel unlovable, so it's easy for them to believe someone hates them. It's actually easier for them to believe someone hates them than it is to believe that someone loves them. For every negative thing you have to say to a child, that child needs at least 10 positive comments. Remember, the child is already entering your classroom with the belief that they are unlovable. So you're starting at a negative. I could tell a million stories about this one. Ask any foster parent how many times they hear, my teacher hates me, like actually hates me. And the thing is, they truly believe it. And in some cases, it's because it's true. There are teachers and children's pastors and youth pastors, and they see that kid coming who has behavior issues, and they immediately think, oh great, that kid is back. We can't do that because they can sense it a a million miles away. You cannot fake love them because they have great BS detectors. 
So you need to pray that God will actually give you a love for them. And ne next, we need to talk about what the child feels about the caregiver. Now, for a child to be at a place where they are able to learn, they need to feel that their caregiver is available, responsive, and will meet their needs. But what most foster children feel is that a caregiver is unresponsive, unreliable, and dangerous. Just a reminder, when I'm talking about the caregiver, I'm not talking about you, the children's pastor or the youth pastor, because you are not the caregiver. The foster parent or the adoptive parent is the caregiver. If you want to help the child, you need to help them bond with the caregiver and not bond with you. Your job is the youth pastor or the children's pastor is to help the child bond with the person they need to bond with the caregiver. Children who've been through trauma will really, really quickly form bonds with people who are not caregivers. They will actually overly bond with them. And at the same time, they will refuse to bond with their new parent or their caregiver because they're afraid of the bond that they actually need, but they still want to have a bond. So they'll bond with the person they know is going to go away. This can make teachers and church volunteers feel special because we think, wow, this kid is really bonded with me. I must be doing a really great job. So because of that, we don't push the child towards the person they actually need to bond with. In fact, we can end up actually hurting them. And let me give you some examples. I once heard from an adoptive parent who had a small child who would go to adults in the church, run to them, sit on their lap, love to take candy from them and just love on them. And everyone thought they were doing such a great job bonding with this little girl. And everyone thought the little girl was doing fantastic. But her adoptive mom could not even get a hug from this child, and she would show no affection to her. The child would love on strangers and go to a stranger to have her needs met, but would never go to the adoptive parent. And when the adoptive mom would try to explain her situation with other people in the church, they thought she was just being an overprotective parent. In the end, this parent ended up leaving the church because she felt like the church was actually doing more damage to her family and stopping her from being able to bond with her child than helping. Another example is when you have older kids in your care and when they're going through things and they confide in the youth pastor and then they say they don't want their caregiver to know what's going on. If you keep that secret, then you're confirming with that child that they are correct and not trusting their caregiver. You are confirming their fear that the caregiver can't be trusted. The last thing we need to know about the child who's gone through trauma is something called the shield of shame. So what is this? Well, a child who feels unlovable, unwanted, and has no impact in the world, the one that feels that they aren't safe and can't trust their caregiver, will end up putting a shield. And this is going to look like um, denial, minimizing, blame, and rage. And that means the smallest little thing can happen, and the child will either deny it, or will immediately minimize it. What are you talking about? I just barely touched her. Or I just brushed up against her. I didn't hit her. Or they will put blame on somebody else. Or they will completely rage out of control. When we see these reactions, especially over small things that don't even matter, this is a sign the child has put up a shield of shame. We can take that shield down bit by bit by telling them they are loved and wanted, even if they have done something that's not correct. 
something important to remember here. You can't teach a child to read if they don't know the alphabet. So we can't expect a child to learn concepts of empathy and trust that we expect from a 13-year-old if they never learned the concepts of empathy and trust that you would expect from a three-year-old. We have to make sure they have these basics before we can teach them more complicated aspects of relationships. The last thing a child needs is time. Let's go back to the idea of a child in a wheelchair. So a child who's been in an accident and in a wheelchair will hopefully recover with time. It'll take painful rehab and learning little steps at a time and we cheer on each little step. And once they are walking, we don't expect them to run. We give them time. The same thing is true of a child who's experienced trauma. Hopefully they will heal, but it will mean little steps and walking before running. Hopefully with time, the child will heal. So that's what the child needs. What does the family need who's in your church? Well, one of the things they need is respite. So a question you could ask yourself, is God calling you to be a respite family? Unfortunately, most family and children's services have ended this program. But if you feel called to be a respite family for a specific family in your church, you could contact your local family and children's services and let them know what you are hoping to do and see if you can get training. You can get your police check done and you can get to know the family really well so when the child feels comfortable spending time in your home. This way, the parents can have time together when they need it. So what is respite? Respite means that it's a place that the child can go Um, to give the family a break when they need it or to give the mother and father a break when they need it, but it's a family that is trained and able to care for the child's specific needs. So that's one thing you can do is provide respite families in your church. Secondly, family support. You need to help the family bond. Don't believe that you can rescue the child. One of the most difficult aspects of being an adoptive or foster family is that the vast majority of the population around you believes your child is damaged and it's their responsibility to rescue them. Nothing can be farther from the truth. We talked about this already earlier in this podcast. Your job is to help the family bond, not for you to bond with the child. This is especially true in the case of adoption. The child has to have a secure relationship with their parents. This is essential for the child to go on to have a good family of their own one day. The next thing that the family needs is connection. Please don't wait for the family to connect to the church. The church needs to connect to the family. The adoptive parent is trying to build a relationship with their new child. They have social workers they have to create relationships with. They're going to be connecting with the child's birth family, and that can lead to some complicated relationships to navigate. They have therapists, they have new doctors, and life is suddenly all about new relationships. And quite frankly, there's nothing left to give away. So the church will need to do the work to keep the family connected to the church. Because the family is going to not have anything left in them to connect themselves. So that's really important. The family needs to stay connected to the church and it's going to have to be the church's responsibility. And you need to not expect it to be a two-way connection. The next thing that the family needs is marriage support. Foster parents and adoptive parents have an extra strain on their marriage. 
So you need to find ways to support their marriage. It could be things like making sure that they have a date night or by sending them away to conferences like the conference we have coming up in Waterloo on May 24th and 25th, which I'm going to speak about at the end of this podcast. All right, so we talked about what the child needs. We talked about what your families need. So what does your volunteer need? So everything will fall apart if you don't support the volunteers in your club or classroom. So I have a few suggestions that I give to churches. Number one, biggest suggestion that I give is hire a special needs coordinator. Now you'll mention I said hire because this is not a volunteer job. This should be a staff position. This is only, this is the only person a parent should have to talk to. So a parent who has a child who's gone through things can go to this one person, have a meeting with them where they sit down, they discuss all the things a child is going through, and they come up with a plan that works for everyone. This coordinator then can check in once a week with a parent or as often as they agree to make sure things are still going smoothly and that there hasn't been any changes. So then the coordinator goes to the volunteers and lays out everything that's going to happen. And the volunteers have to accept this. No questions. This way the parent doesn't have to explain to the Sunday school teacher, to the Awana leader, to the junior church leader, to the volunteer who happens to be subbing in that week, to the youth pastor, on and on and on. They just have one person to talk to. And because of confidentiality, this really is a needed thing. This is one change that will make a dynamic difference in your program. And this person can work with babies right up to teens. But of course, it's important you hire a qualified person who knows how to work with kids who have special needs. The next thing you need to do is have training. Your volunteers need some training. And I don't mean put up a PowerPoint and then read it to them and make them all sit through it so they can sign a piece of paper saying they took the training. I mean an interesting training, one that holds your attention and will actually impact them. And by the way, I would love to come to your church and help with that. And you can contact me through my website at lauraleesiemens.com. The next thing that your church may need is one-on-one. Some kids just need one-on-one. And there are people in your church who don't feel comfortable signing up to teach a class, but they would feel better about volunteering to just hang out with one kid. I understand if you're teaching a large group of kids, you can't focus on that one child who needs extra help. And really, that's not fair to the other children who are behaving and also would benefit from spending time with your volunteer. All right. The one thing you could do today, have your pastoral staff, especially the children and youth staff, go to the Together for Adoption and Fostering Conference, which is going to be in Waterloo Friday, May 24th at 7 o'clock until Saturday, May 25th at 4 o'clock. Also, the next thing you can do is pay the way for the foster and adoptive families in your church to go to this conference. I'm going to put a link to that conference below. If you come, please come and find me and Leslie. We're both going to be there, and we love to hear from our listeners, and we're hoping to meet a bunch of you at this conference. All right, check out our website, lauraleesiemens.com. Click on Foster and Adopt for more information and for books that we recommend. I'm going to see you next week, and hopefully I'm going to see you at the conference. This is Gifts from God. I'm Lauraleesiemens. Siemens.